You're listening to Middle East Analysis, a podcast series taking a close look at the Middle East North Africa region. Well, we're back again with an extended Middle East analysis podcast special, four-parter. The last part, we looked at Christians in the Holy Land and asked the rather provocative question, will there be a third Palestinian intifada? And if so, how will the Christians play any sort of part in that? I'm joined by Dr. Harry Hagopian, international lawyer and analyst on the Middle East, North Africa region and Gulf states. Harry, the second part of our four-part special... I've called majority minority because I want to talk about those countries in the Middle East, North Africa that actually have hundreds of thousands of Christians. They have very large Christian communities. Obviously, what springs to mind would be the Maronites in Lebanon as a large Christian community. And I didn't realise, actually, that their national pact also dictates that the country's president must be a Christian. Yes, James, it's nice to be back with you for this second episode The National Pact dictates that the president of Lebanon has to be a Maronite Christian, that the prime minister has to be a Sunni Muslim, and the speaker of parliament has to be a Shia Muslim. Fascinating. It is fascinating, but that's how Lebanese try in their political wit and intelligence to keep the country together. It does seem like an interreligious fair response to having... It's almost a forum that if you get everybody involved, then nobody is really going to attack anybody else in a major way, and somehow you save the structure of the state. But let me come back to the majority-minority question that you raised and sort of open it up a little bit beyond uh, Lebanon. The first initial two comments I would make are the following. First of all, I abhor the nomenclature, the description of majority-minority. Because, again, we come to the issue of numbers. If there are 10 of this community and 50 of the others, fivefold more, does that mean that that community is more important? I do not think so. And whenever I've spoken in the past I've always said that the issue of referring to the Christians across the Middle East, North Africa and the Gulf as minorities is something I disagree with because it always gives the impression that the quality of their contribution to society is less. And possibly the rights that they should be afforded. And the rights that they should be afforded in a largely predominantly Muslim world are less just because their numbers are smaller. And in fact, in Arabic, the word that, again, I do not like to use is aqalliyat, which exactly means minorities. So when I'm forced to use the word minority, either in my writings or in my interviews, I always specify numerical minority, just to make sure that I'm talking about numbers and nothing else that goes deeper and impinges, as you said, upon either rights or contribution to society. However, numerically, it is a fact that although we talk of the holy lands, because it's much wider and broader than just Jerusalem and Bethlehem, If we look at those, if we look at Jordan, at Lebanon, at Syria, at Iraq, at Egypt, all these are part and parcel of the biblical story. So if we look at those, 
we tend to forget sometimes that that is where the whole biblical story evolved. And that is what when people start quoting chapter and verse to me from this page of the Bible or that or Corinthians or what have you, they tend to do this so faithfully, so zealously, so knowingly. And yet when you tell them, and by the way, the Arab Christians of, say, Jordan, they look at you as what Arab Christians? Are they missionaries? And suddenly the paradox in human realities in the West, where on the one hand, Western Christians believe that, yes, the Bible was made incarnate, if I can use that term, because the miracle happened in Bethlehem, because the crucifixion, death, and resurrection happened in Jerusalem, because Jesus actually is from that area. He was a Jew. He was not an Australian. He was not an Anglo-Saxon. He was not somebody from France or Japan. He was a Jew living in the Holy Lands. People look at that so faithfully and then are almost surprised when you say, well, what about the Christian communities there? What is the fellowship that binds Christians in those lands, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, even Tunisia, Libya, and others have Christians in them. Even the Gulf have Christians in them and those in the West. And that is where somehow the thread snaps because the answer is not forthcoming because people are a bit bamboozled. They don't know what to say for a simple reason that for many of those people, it's almost like saying that because the Arab Christians are culturally different and they're far closer to Islam, because they've lived in Muslim realities for so many centuries, because they are closer to Islam culturally, therefore we as Westerners cannot accept them in our own definition as being Christians like us. Forgetting the fact that Christianity and faith are not cultural issues. They are issues of faith. They have to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not with whether I speak Arabic or English or French or Japanese or whether I like to eat falafels or I like to eat sushis. This is the reality that we face. But within that reality, numerically, of course, there are differences. And as I said, the majority of the Christians in their small numbers exist first the largest community is in Egypt, the Copts. the Copts, and the largest of those are the Orthodox Copts, but there are also Catholic Copts and Evangelical Copts, which do a lot of social work in the country. Then you have Lebanon, where roughly one third of the country is Christian. Then you have Christians, Arab Christians again in Jordan. You have them in Palestine, you have them in Israel, you have them in Iraq, you have them in Syria. Unfortunately, in Syria, for instance, Christian communities were flourishing and were well known in places like Damascus, the capital, in Aleppo, in Hasaka, in a place called Wadi Nasara, which is the Christian Valley. Those are places where the communities congregated. Ditto with uh, Iraq before the invasions, the first and second Gulf invasions or wars, where you had roughly a million plus or minus Christians 
largely Syriac and Chaldean Catholic, many of those have already emigrated and left. So in a sense, the numbers have shifted. But yes, there are those in those countries. And then, of course, there is a totally different reality of a large Christian community of expatriates living across the whole breadth and width of the Gulf region, what I call the Gulf Cooperation Council, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Qatar, who actually also house those Christians. So the reality is a little bit different from what some American evangelical Christian would claim from uh, somewhere in uh, the Bible Belt. Well, without wishing to be too controversial and hopefully not ignorant either, in terms of we started off talking about the Maronites in Lebanon and the National Pact and the president being a Maronite Christian. In a country like Egypt, there's some 10 million Copts, and yet there seems to have been a marked increase in persecution in Egypt in comparison to other places. Is it fair to say that the Christians in Egypt and in some of these countries are viewed not as trespassers in the land, but very much as second-class citizens, or is that not true? Yes and no. And let me try and explain in a couple of minutes what is a very, very difficult and profound question you've raised. I mean, this is something that needs a whole seminar. On the one hand, the Muslim ethos is that the Prophet Muhammad was the last of the prophets, and therefore the seal of prophets, and therefore the best version of your monotheism is Islam. And anything else that comes out of that box, and that box is a very big box because there's so many different schools of uh, Muslim thought and there's so many different kinds of Islam. But if you come out of those boxes, then you are somehow jeopardizing the whole idea of faith. So yes, for a Muslim, there is no such thing as separating God from Caesar. God and Caesar inhabit in the same person as manifested in their beliefs. And therefore, anybody else who does not share those beliefs is looked upon a little bit suspiciously. So that is a fact. Many Muslims would disagree with me, but that's partly because they want to be politically correct. I don't want to be politically correct. I'm telling you as it is, because conversely, there are some Christians who also look at Christianity and say, well, actually, the only real prophet is Jesus Christ, and everything is else from Judaism on one side of the Christian faith and Islam on the other are basically not compatible with our faith. So each faith community looks, and perhaps rightly so, at the end of the day, that's your set of beliefs, looks at it in terms of this is ours. So that's right. But the second thing I would say is that I would somehow contest the fact that there's been more persecutions these days than there were before. The Copts, roughly 10% of the population, 8 to 10 million, are people who have suffered persecution, who are extremely pious and committed to their faith, rooted in their faith and in their land, sometimes even more than pious and a little bit too pietistic. But having said that, the fact that we hear more about the persecutions is because at the moment 
things are so bad in that part of the world and we're in a 24-7 media news coverage with social media that if anybody so much as scratches a copt, it's all over the media and you think that none of this happened before and suddenly this is happening today. That's not true. There has been a radicalization of sorts, but that comes in ebbs and flows. So in a sense, this is something that the Copts have had to deal with before as well. Now it has become more public. How do you see the future of Christianity in those countries that are more often seen as obviously dominated by Islam? One of my uh, gurus is the Latin patriarch emeritus of Jerusalem, Michel Sabah who was one of my backers, one of my supporters when I was working uh, politically and ecumenically in the Holy Lands. And he says that we are the people of the cross. And by that he means that if it is the fate, the destiny, the witness, the calling of Christians in the Middle East, North Africa, to struggle with their faith as much as for their faith, then that is what Christianity is all about. And the less we whinge about it, and the more the universal Christians support those Christians in the MENA region, the better it is for our own beliefs as a whole. Well, Harry, we'll be hearing from you in our next episode when we rather poignantly, and I think this segues quite well into it, uh, discuss the gulf between faiths. You see what I've done there? the gulf between faiths we're going to talk about those gulf states and christianity or the pockets of christianity in those states so for now thank you very much thank you